naturally occurring psychoactive compound, psilocybin, is found in over 200 species of mushrooms. Despite their millennia of use by humans for mental and spiritual well-being, they have been classified falsely among the most dangerous and illegal of substances. Locked away from those who need them most. The Psilocybin Chronicles documents the individuals who courageously consume, collect, or cultivate these mushrooms to improve the quality of their lives. Won't you join us as we welcome the return of psilocybin? Welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. I am your host, Eric Osborne. This podcast is intended for education and harm reduction purposes only. The Psilocybin Chronicles nor Myco Meditations condones any illegal activity. Otis L. Boffman III, M.D., was born in 1951 in the little town of Wagner, South Carolina. A graduate of the University of South Carolina, where he was a member of the marching band, Otis completed his medical degree from the same university in 1977. In 1980, Otis finished his residency at the Spartanburg Family Medicine Center. Then, after serving five years as a rural small-town doctor, Otis returned to academic life. Otis has, under his belt, 23 years as a family medicine residency director with a state record of 245 family doctors trained. He has 18 years as Dean and Director of Medical Education, 14 years as Co-Chair of the Medics and Ethics Committee, and former President of the South Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. Otis is now (laughs) sort of retired. In this pseudo-retirement, Otis started South Carolina's only free psychiatry clinic run by a family physician. Otis has five children and is a national high-performance driving instructor for the Porsche Club. Otherwise, (laughs) he's just a country boy with an eclectic mind and an unbounded curiosity about the wonders of life. Won't you join me in welcoming Otis to the Psilocybin Chronicles? Otis, welcome to the Psilocybin Chronicles. It's a pleasure to be here, my man. (laughs) It is uh, just a pleasure to be sitting with you. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I have a feeling that that we're going to have an ongoing relationship. You just told me how others have sought your counsel here, and I, you know, I fully acknowledge that it takes many minds to put this thing together, any project. And you, um, aside from being a go getter <laughs> as a uh, as a guest you're just a just such a caring person uh, and it's so obvious so thank you for that thank you all right otis if you could consume psilocybin mushrooms with anybody and you've got you're a very intelligent man you've met a lot of intelligent people uh i'm so interested to know who that person would be and why with no doubt on this planet, though he's still not, he's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. It would be Joseph Campbell. Ah, I should have guessed that. I should have, I could have. It would why? be the father of truth and myth. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think? What would you imagine a Joseph Campbell trip to be like? <laughs> 
out of the universe with intelligence and wisdom and insights. Yeah. I mean, and did, do you know if he had psychedelic experience? How do I not know that? I think he did at Eastland. Uh huh. But I'm not completely sure. It's but not like publicly does, recorded. No, it's not central of. to anything in there, mm-hmm. though. He will mention mm-hmm. things. It might not have been personally. He might have just fallen in his descriptions of societies and myths. Right. Uh, the Red Book. Have you, are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. It's a book of his. No, it's not fucking Joseph Campbell. Eric, you come on. Oh, that was, um, the, uh, psychiatrist, therapist, uh, that is, uh, Carl Young. Young. It was Young. It young? Young. Yeah, yeah Young's yeah. Red Book. That's yeah. that's very psychedelic. And he's not uh, known to be a psychedelic user either. Right. Which is interesting, you know, like when we look back at our, you know, short-term history and we see these individuals who seem to display very psychedelic thinking. Um, yeah. And even like um, Lewis Carroll, you know, going back, Alice right. in Wonderland. Well, the mystics always have. Mm. It's just a hard path to go to get to where I've discovered is a little easier to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To that level yeah, yeah. of understanding and, I say, enlightenment. I would agree with you. Uh, we have this, it seems like we have this description of enlightenment as this, like, boom, you're there. <laughs> that's an incremental staircase baby you gotta work for every step it doesn't seem a very enlightened way of thinking (laughs) (laughs) that's the way it feels with this boy so so well no not the staircase they that enlightenment comes as like boom you're there i don't think that's a very enlightened way of thinking because it is as you say a staircase it's an incremental moment by moment and you had you have had some some very powerful moments of clarity. Extraordinary. Before we get into that, though, let's uh, let's talk about how you were introduced to psilocybin. Oh, uh, I'm a physician. I approach things scientifically. And um, my interest in psilocybin probably goes all the way back to the 60s where my roots are, mm-hmm. when this was so suppressed. Mm-hmm. I looked into it and found out that it was all worked out before the government stepped in in 64. Major psychiatric partners throughout the United States had figured out how to use the appropriate hallucinogens and psilocybin was the the mainstay. How to do set and setting correctly to get a therapeutic effect that you want or need. Mm -hmm. Like in my experience, I Mm -hmm. needed it. Didn't know that was where I was going. But there. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The literature's there. It's the most probably one of the most powerful treatments for addiction that we know. Mm-hmm. And all that was there and being used actively until it was suppressed. So that 1960s part of me saying, huh, the government did that, huh? So I dive in and learned everything about it. But it was only now, I am now 68 years old. It is only now that I'm able to actually come to find a therapeutic place that will give me set and setting and allow me to have a trust to open up and experience so why did you never engage with psychedelics in the 60s you're certainly let's say interest was there but i had a background of old testament subterm baptist so everything i've done has been a battle Mm. to get there Mm -hmm. and um so i've moved into things slowly and thoughtfully having to often 
battle with whether so it was t- right or wrong tell underneath us, it. Tell us, talk about how you, when people used to talk about the hippies doing mushrooms and all the stuff that was going on with psychedelics back in the 60s, what was your perception at that time? My perception, it was pretty cool. And, uh, and it was back there where I started smoking cannabis, and cannabis isn't a mild hallucinogen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, it had a major wonderful effect for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. It's social. You experience compassion with people around you. Mm. And when I have that sort of experience, then that helps me fight the battles that wreck barriers to getting any further in our society right. because you see the truth itself. Mm. And if I read, I see that that is mm-hmm. not an unusual feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you just purely never have access to psilocybin right. back then? Never did. been practicing physician. Look, you can't. I mean, I, I, I've had I don't. Never, you know, smoke pot all the time, drink alcohol all the time, or anything. I maintain my professional clarity of mind. Right, right. So throughout, mm-hmm. you know, forty years, not much experience just dipping in and dipping out. Right. But that's it. But I'm retired now. <laughs> yeah, and you you saved it up, brother. And I saved it up <laughs> in many many ways. There, and now it's my time mm-hmm. to explore myself so with your, before before we get into your your direct experience here which i very eager to myself but uh i want to just touch on your as you were coming into this you've been doing the reading and the research so you had a uh kind of a theoretical understanding of how the process would right. work right. and so is there a way that you can kind of lead us into your experience starting with your expectations of the process okay well my expectation of the process was to find a place and i did my research by golly i'm not sitting here talking to you by accident mm. i wanted a place that would reflect the principles that i'd read and researched that would already worked out decades and decades mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. i looked around for legitimacy i looked around for someone i could be comfortable with because i recognized with my reading going into this that i had to trust mm. and i had to trust the environment and the folks around me so I did not come to Michael Meditations on a whim or a guess. That was what I picked up from my research. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to come and truly relax. And the process here has been everything I wanted and more. Truly. Well, I, I, I didn't know you were going to go that direction with it. Uh, thank you. I know that we spoke the other night about, you know, how you had, you had done quite a bit of research and taken real time. And with your knowledge of um, the medical world and your experience as a director, not just as a physician, as a, mm-hmm. yeah. I read that, it all. That, that means the world to me. Um, so thank you. Uh, so then, okay, well, you knew you knew how to set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. All right. So tell us how that looked from first dose to second. We've got one more that we won't get on record, but I'm confident that you uh, <laughs> are going to manage that one well. As well. And I'll learn more from that one, too. <laughs> well, my first dose was interesting. I mean, um, uh, I've learned here with another person, this, a physician like me, that we are hard-headed, control-oriented people. Mm. And it became evident that the little old piddling dose wasn't going to go anywhere with me. Mm-hmm. And so you made a good choice on the first dose for me, pushed it a hair, 
and it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. It got me buttoned up next to the ceiling. I had a little vision of my pain coming up through a flower, and I saw my superego jump in from the right and put a cap over that son of the gun and not <laughs> left it out. I spent I don't know how much time while I was under. I don't know how much time, but I cussed Otis for a long time for stopping that pain from being released. Mm-hmm. And, you know, inherently I've known. I've had, look, I've my position's been my position's been hard in my life. I have burnt out multiple times. I've had therapy for over twenty years, thousands of dollars worth of therapy, and never break through that. It was an eye opening experience, though I didn't go all the way mm. to see the block. Mm-hmm. And I visually saw the block. This point, I didn't get through, but you took care of that. Um, <laughs> You know, the group process after and talking about the trust and everybody else's experiences, that gave me even a little more mm-hmm. ability to relax, a little bit more ability to to experience. I heard others' support they got from the staff. And so when you gave me my second dose, <laughs> well, I blasted through that ceiling, blew that flower <laughs> apart, and <laughs> it was painful. I will have to say that my time under you, day before yesterday was the most beautifully painful heart-wrenching soul-tugging experience of my entire existence time 100 i was under for hours and i was raging feeling the hurt as a physician i have helped many a person transition a nice death i felt the heartbeats of every single person that I helped. I had no idea I'd buried all that inside of me. Mm-hmm. Major issues with parents like we all have. Oh, God, that came coming on out <laughs> big time, man. I fought that woman all night long. But, you know, after my whole life of trying to get to that point, after all that fighting, hours Hours. Of fighting. It was, hours. It was solid seven hours. Hours solid. of misery and fighting. At the end of it, I experienced forgiveness with her for the first time. Now, I'm telling you, I don't have to have another experience in my life that is heart freeing in itself mm. to understand the limitations of one parents and how they hurt you, but mm-hmm. didn't intend to. It was just their ignorance. You know, it was I, a wonderful thing to get to. And I will share this. Folks, listen to this. I went through ten and a half hours of hell. I worked hard. I worked hard. I want you to know, I, when I opened my eyes when I was in the tents of it. I had people standing there supporting me around me. I could not have done that without the mm-hmm. staff and the people here. And when I got done with it all, uh, you helped me come out and uh, helped me relax and get me something to eat because I was about to eat my hand. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> you had been chewing on the bed for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had. You didn't get much from that. <laughs> Man. But in th- sitting in the twilight, everybody else was gone. It was all quiet. You were quiet and just left me there. Folks, I experienced the experience of grace for the first time in my life. It can bring tears to my eyes now. But the divine in this universe came down and embraced me. It felt like the warm arms of the parent that I don't remember feeling. Mm, mm. And uh, that flushed all over me. Mm. And uh, you, you'll hear me putting no religious terms on that. Mm. But the universal divine embraced me. And um, I am a different person. 
I know some of this is going to fade, but that experience won't fade. The release mm-hmm. that I had mm-hmm. won't fade. <laughs> I have spent tens of thousands of dollars on counseling, hundreds and hundreds of hours of counseling over the years, and I have found this the most cost-effective mm-hmm. growth <laughs> I have ever had in my life. When you said you're all right over there, you're like, what's you said? Something like in the middle of it with your eyes. I don't think you even knew I was there. Maybe that's one of the first times I laughed there, and you said something like, oh, this is one hell of a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, process. I don't think that was it. I remember yeah, that. I'm talking about uh, loving the process. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I but I did. And, then, and and if you're listening to me, yes, it was misery. It was hurt. It was pain. But I visually spent those hours pushing that pain literally and squeezing it out of me. You worked so hard. You and worked so hard. It was gone. When I was finished, and I've that, never that's, felt that. That's what it was, though, man. You just dove right into it. So did, like, do you even have a time frame from the onset to when it started being painful? Because you pretty much came in and just laid straight down very It quickly. went straight to pain, baby. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a pleasant mm-hmm. experience. I was, was sitting around waiting for it to hit me and waiting for it to hit me. And when it hit me, I dove in. And it was interesting. I'm that much of a physician and a therapist myself. I run a psychiatry mm-hmm. clinic mm-hmm. that... Every time I'd come out to get water, which kind of oriented me again, it pissed me off because <laughs> I could tell I knew I wasn't done with the process yet. Uh-huh. And then I dive, literally, it felt like diving right back into the abyss. Mm-hmm. And I dove and I dove and I dove until there just wasn't anything there anymore. And what that took, 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was. Wow. Best that therapy was, on the planet. That was phenomenal, man. That was so. Just being there and watching you, Matt, he was here a lot too. And all of, you know, there's ever, like I said, everybody's moving in and out and everybody, and even like the, the other group and people are like, how's Otis? Yeah. And it's just, they I heard love me. seeing people show up for each other, yeah. man. And like you showed up for people here and that allows, like you said, for their uh, more ability to release. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, it's all over you. Yeah. Uh, how much better you feel? I feel twenty years younger, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. My back and my knees don't, but the rest of me does. Mm-hmm. You know, it really a lightness of step today. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was in a complete fog. Mm-hmm. I think I was still having some of the experience, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. and I interpreted it as, as my subconscious was churning yesterday. I was so tired. We'll talk about even the sweat out you ha- had happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a purge during my <laughs> during my experience, and I spewed all the evil religious training down the toilet and flushed <laughs> and flushed until it was all gone. And honestly, that's the way it felt, and that was therapeutic. I really wasn't sick. It just happened. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. And then last night, I soaked the bed again with sweat. God, I just flipped and flopping and soaking. I had to move to another side of the bed so it would be dry. When I got up this morning, the only way I can describe it is an incredible lightness of being. So with your background in psychiatry, you're, you're, you're working in the medical field. Um, and some of the, you know, you did a lot of research and reading to get yourself here. Um even that kind of stuff, like you're talking about the sweating 20, a full 24 hours afterwards and that being a part of the experience. Yeah. That's not something that we hear about or talk about often in the modern, in the research literature and the modern stuff. Uh, so um, what's like the advice you would give someone as they approach their first trip to help them ma- best manage expectations? Trust your environment where you are. Mm. 
Open yourself some to the people around you. They're going to give back and help with that entire process. Know that compassion is all around you. The, the trained staff and such here are there. And they well, are. Yeah, don't even think about Mico though, right? What? Like it's because you're you're you are referencing what your experience here with the train the staff right. here, right? And that's like, but but if you can imagine as someone, and people do, and that's and it's okay that people take you know what you, a lot of what you're saying even into like if they're just in their living room with someone set they, and tr- they trust it's just I'm talking set and setting right. and that's, and, but so like but the expectation management okay yeah. so then the experience itself the set okay. and setting is important to set you up right. to feel safe and secure and to go into it as much as you want but the experience itself has so many different looks and it everybody's okay. process is different so maybe um we don't. I don't know. We don't have enough information. I feel like to be able to know a person and be able to predict what their process is going to look like, and it's going to be right. different every time. So I'm just interested in how we can help virgins to psilocybin just uh, prepare themselves for the process and maybe even the duration. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a question that wasn't prepared, and but I think you have such valuable insight into this field that I'm interested in your thoughts. My best advice to anybody coming into this anywhere is absolutely trust it and open yourself up to experience. Do not go in with an agenda. That agenda got blown out of the window mm. in no time. Mm. What I thought through all my wisdom and study and professionalism <laughs> and experience and all, and this is the way I'm going to go. Oh, hell no. <laughs> you trust psilocybin cubensis that's where the wisdom is yes yes you just have to open up yes. and trust it yes. i mean i spent the beginning of each trip convincing myself it wasn't going to work it's not right no 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 you open up and mm. trust it because it blew that out within i don't know how long mm-hmm. pretty quick mm-hmm. each time mm-hmm. um that's where the value is i think Yes, good you know, advice. Very good put advice. Put it this way. Yeah. Well, I won't say that. That'd well, be sacrilegious. Okay. <laughs> it's a parallel to open yourself up to the Lord, oh. to the experience. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's what that's yes. about. Yes. It's I agree. No different here to opening yes. up and having that tremendous open understanding. Well, and I know you have knowledge of uh, the ethnomycological history uh, and its representation through religion. Uh, oh yes, but we don't want to get too far off track here. So maybe, oh, well, yeah, I can give you a lecture. On <laughs> I know you can. I've seen you got stopped at twelve hundred AD. Look it up, guys. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. Mushroomstone.com, great site to get some information uh, for that on. All right, so let's uh, let's think a little bit to the future. We're here right now. Uh, we're experiencing this medicine and each other, and it's been really fantastic. Um, and we're seeing psilocybin become more mainstream because of people like you mm-hmm. that are brave enough to approach it and speak about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your hopes as a psychiatric th- uh, therapist, as a physician, what are your hopes and uh, uh, maybe vision for psilocybin as an applicable therapy in the future? I'm going to explain it. Well, the medical molecule, that's the one I'm most familiar with. Okay, please. When I see my patients in my psychiatric clinic, I am aware that on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is where they are in their misery. 10 is they when they are just totally normal and at peace, where they want to be, their goal. And every time I bring them in and I ask them where they are with whatever treatment we're going, I say, how far upscale? 
Well, after over 35 years of believing in my pills, I have learned that in the realm of psychiatry, on that scale, my pills will get you up to about five or six. Now, if you go straight to traditional therapy, it'll get you up to about five or six. When you put them both together, you can reach the pinnacle. Okay? Mm-hmm. I've been on antidepressants for years. I dropped a Monday. I'm feeling better than I ever have. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the literature that says this can relieve. Mm-hmm. When I go back to see my patients and the way they struggle, both with their personal growth understanding, so I send them all the counseling, but they don't always get into it. Mm-hmm. This path with with psilocybin will get you through that barrier, mm-hmm. whether you will it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is going to break my heart that I'm not able to offer that to those suffering humans that will be sitting in front of me when yeah. I get back home. That's real. And I'm not in a position where I can because I'll lose my license and get yeah. arrested or something. I don't know what. Yeah. In South Carolina, probably the latter because we're, you know, we say thank God for Mississippi. So mm. <laughs> enlightenment is not always there. Yeah. Yeah. But that'll be my frustration. Yeah. And I will stay on top of this and I will be an advocate for this to become medical men mainstream what would that look like in the states what could what could that look like you know when we um right now the research models anyway are in you know office rooms and big buildings and inner cities um but the nature element is really missing from that yeah uh, which seems really important yes um what are your thoughts on so what some of these models might look like like best case worst case scenario i guess well me looking at it, if you did it in the office, you're really going to have to set that up to be one compassionate, warm place that doesn't look cold and clinical for this mm-hmm. to be most effective. Um, and then you're going to be walking into an office through a complex or something. I know. I, I just, that leaves me cold. Yeah. Um, the ex- experience of nature is healing. And there's, there is medical literature on that, taking inner city kids and mm-hmm, taking them out mm-hmm. to the country for a couple of days and you change their entire lives and they're able to touch mm-hmm, a cow mm-hmm, and feel mm-hmm. the dirt under their feet. Well, nature heals. Yes. And so being in an environment surrounded by nature to me is perfect. Mm-hmm. Personally, if I just change one thing, is that I don't like the heat, so I do it on top of a mountain. But yeah, it's okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're we're, bo- we're both from a similar area, as you can probably hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the deciduous forest is my home. That's mine. My heart is in the deciduous forest. Yeah, I I'll, go there to recharge. Trip much. All my trip back in the states were in the forest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I bought nineteen acres of hardwoods um, seven years ago. Oh, and when I walk outside, take a deep breath. That's cool. That's, that's why you know about mushroom picking. I heard you talking. That's clean air, uh-huh. and I and, and I look at trees as some of the wisdom of the planet. Yes. That they give us oxygen. The, I mean, the, gentle giants that help us. Indeed. Out. The what are they? The ants. Isn't that the, from the Hobbit? The ants or the trees or the yes, big exactly. Um, yeah, a big, a big palm tree down there by the hut the other day. Yeah, it just like pulled me to it. I was just like, I couldn't do but hug it. I just had to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trees are beautiful. Um, oh wow, you guys so much, Jonas. I, I am tempted to drag this podcast on, but I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep them short because that's what the listeners prefer. Uh, and so we're gonna move on to our last question. Um, and then move on to our session. Uh, if you could put up a billboard, as you say, you're going to be a promoter 
I'm still a seven now. <laughs> what billboards are you going to sponsor, yeah. Otis? I got that billboard. Uh-oh. I got that design in my head. <laughs> I see it all over. Uh, I'm not Imagine try. a billboard, and it's covered with beautiful <laughs> representations of mushrooms. And going across the top in a semicircle is going to be enlightenment. And going across the bottom is going to be the statement, it only took eight grams. <laughs> <laughs> Tombstone, billboard, you T-shirt. That's it. Otis's motto. That is the best <laughs> advice I can give anybody. Is that you think you can't get there with old Otis? It only took eight like, grams. <laughs> even that, I'm so interested in talking with you more about your um, uh, kind of viewpoints on dosing and how uh-huh. you've seen it affect different people and how dosing will be managed as this becomes more mainstream and clinical. Oh, hugely individual. Yeah, right? Yeah. So then what? How you, we're, we're so used to standardization, especially body weight and da-da-da-da-da. You know, you give out all these medications yourself, and uh-huh. how do you administer something like this to the populace? You're going to do it through experience, through opening your head up and not believing all the papers are going to tell you is exactly this uh, way and do not deviate. Y'all see why I love this guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Otis, it's been nice chatting with you here on the Psilocybin Chronicles, and uh, it's been absolutely wonderful having you here at Michael Meditations for the week. Looking forward to our afternoon dose. Oh, man, me too. Yeah. Me too. Thanks again. My pleasure. Enlightenment. It only takes eight grams. (laughs) Well, it might not be the same dose for everybody. Definitely not the same dose for everybody. And you might find yourself at varying levels of enlightenment in that uh, (laughs) staircase of enlightenment, if you will. Otis, though, he went right back into the eight grams, y'all. And it gave him rounds three and four. You can believe it. And he took it like a champ. It was every bit as difficult as his first 8-gram trip, but in a different way. From what I recall, he called it a professional purge, basically, where he experienced, felt, and relieved himself of the weight that his years of medical service had placed on his shoulders. Brooke Novick, thank you again for your time with Otis that afternoon and for your continued work and support of Myco. Brooks, a family therapist who you will get to hear from in an upcoming episode. She joined us for the family retreat, which Otis was such a beautiful part of. And it is such a wonderful joy to welcome Otis to the Myco Meditations family. So I want to leave you with some words from Otis's ideal trip buddy, Joseph Campbell. In this upcoming clip, Campbell discusses enlightenment, consciousness, both human, plant, and Gaian, and so much more. And since nobody can say it quite like Joseph Campbell, I'll just pass the mic to him. In all of these journeys of mythology, there's a place everyone wishes to find. What is it? The Buddhists talk of nirvana. Jesus talks of peace. There's a place of rest and repose. Is that typical of the hero's journey? That there's a place to find? That's a place in yourself of rest. Now this I I know a little bit about from athletics. The athlete who is uh, in championship form has a quiet place in himself. And uh, it's out of that that his action comes. 
If he's all in the action field, uh, he's not performing properly. There's a center out of which you act. And Jean, my wife, a dancer, tells me that in dance, this is true too. There's the center that has to be known and held. There, it's quite physically recognized by the person. But uh, unless this center has been found, you're torn apart. Tension comes. Now, the Buddha's word is nirvana. Nirvana is a psychological state of mind. It's not a place like heaven. It's not something that's not here. It is here in the middle of the turmoil, what's called samsara, the whirlpool of life conditions. The, that nirvana is what? It is the condition that comes when you are not compelled by desire or by fear or by social uh, commitments. When you hold your center and act out of there. And like all heroes, the Buddha doesn't show you the truth, the illumination. He shows you the way to. The way. But it's got to be your way, too. I mean, how should I get rid of fear? Uh, the Buddha can't tell me how I'm going to do it. There are exercises that uh, different teachers will give you, but they may not work for you. Um, and uh, all a teacher can do is give you a clue of the direction. He's like a lighthouse that says there are rocks over here and steer clear. You talk a lot about consciousness. Yes. Most people hear that term in like me, have only a veiled understanding of it. What is it? Gene and I are, are, are living in Hawaii, and uh, we're living right by the ocean, and we have a little lanai, a little porch, and uh, there's a coconut tree that grows up through that porch, and it goes on up. And uh, there's a, a kind of vine plant, a big powerful thing with leaves like this, that has grown up the coconut tree. Now that plant sends forth little uh, feelers to go out and, and clutch the plant, and it, it knows where the plant is and what to do, and where the tree is, and it, it grows up like this, and it opens a leaf, and that leaf immediately turns to where the sun is. Now you can't tell me that leaf doesn't know where the sun is going to be. All of the leaves go just like that, what's called heliotropism, turning toward where the sun is. That's a form of consciousness. There is a, a plant consciousness. There is a animal consciousness. And we share all of these things. You eat certain foods and the bile knows whether there's something there for it to go to work on. I mean, this whole thing is consciousness. I begin to feel more and more that the whole world is conscious. Uh, certainly the vegetable world is conscious. And when you live in the woods, as I did as a kid, you can see all these uh, different consciousnesses relating to themselves. Scientists are beginning to talk quite openly about the Gaia principle. There you are, the whole planet as an organism. Mother Earth. And you see, if you will think of ourselves as coming out of the Earth, rather than as being thrown in here from somewhere else, you know, thrown out of the Earth, we are the Earth. We are the consciousness of the Earth. These are the eyes of the Earth. And this is the voice of the earth. What else? How do we raise our consciousness? 
Well, that's a matter of what you are disposed to think about. And uh, that's what meditations are for. And all of life is a meditation, most of it unintentional. A lot of people spend most of it in meditating on where their money's coming from and where it's going to go, but that's a level of meditation. Or if you have a family to bring up, you're, you're concerned for the family. Uh, these are all perfectly uh, imp very important concerns, but they have to do with, with physical conditions mostly and spiritual conditions of the children, of course. But how are you going to communicate spiritual consciousness to the children if you don't have it yourself? So how do you get that? Then you think about the myths. What the myths are for is to bring us into a, uh, a level of consciousness that is spiritual. You see, this thing up here, this consciousness thinks it's running the shop. It's a secondary organ. It's a secondary organ of a, of a total human being. And it must not put itself in control. It must submit and serve the humanity of the body. Join me, and I will complete your training. When it does put itself in control, you get this father, the man who's gone over to the intellectual side. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side. He isn't thinking in, in, uh, living in terms of humanity, he's living in terms of a system. And this is the threat to our lives. We all face it. We all operate in our society in relation to a system. Now, is the system going to eat you up and re relieve you of your humanity? Or are you going to be able to use the system to human purposes? Would the hero with a thousand faces help us to answer that question about how to change the system so that we are not serving it? I don't think it would help you to change the system, but it would help you to live in the system as a human being. By doing what? Well, like Luke Skywalker, not going over, but resisting its, its uh, impersonal claims. But I can hear someone out there in the audience saying, well, that's all well and good for the imagination of a George Lucas or for the scholarship of a Joseph Campbell, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, isn't what happens in my life. You bet it does. If the person doesn't listen to the demands of his own spiritual and, and heart life and uh, insists on a certain program, you're going to have a schizophrenic crack up. The person has put himself off center. He has aligned himself with a programmatic life, and it's not the one the body's uh, interested in at all. And the world's full of people who have, uh, who have stopped listening to themselves. Wow. Listen to Joseph Campbell, folks. Listen to yourself. With all that background noise, often it takes a dose of mushrooms to do that. For Otis, it was the 8 grams. And it was not easy, but he did it, and I am confident that it has changed his way of working in the world for the better. Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining Otis and I on the Psilocybin Chronicles. May all of your journeys, both inward and outward, be safe and rewarding.
made it hard. <laughs>